Chris and Leslie, uh, thank you so very much for being with us today. We're humbled with your talent and even more that you would use it for God's glory in this place. So thank you for being here today. And Bill and Kay, words, uh, you know, we take for granted the talent that you possess and the work that you do for us. And uh, so thank you for guiding us and leading us this morning. Uh, and to Gene Brooks, there's not a day that I see Gene that I don't say thank you because you made a very difficult day in this very place. You made it, um, you just made it really good for us and for my family. And I'll always be grateful to you for that day and for what you did for us that day. Um, so, um, 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 you can look at me and tell that I'm in um, my late 50s, <laughs> really late, like the curtain is drawing to a close, late. And that means that as a small child in the late 50s with the advent and the burgeoning television, uh, when I was very small, I would be home with my mother and my younger brother, and we would watch television. And those were the days where uh, there wasn't remote control unless mother or father said get up and go change the channel. And there wasn't an option for me in watching television in those days. It was whatever mother wanted to watch. And then if dad were home from the fire department, we would watch whatever dad wanted to watch. And so when mother would watch television, um, uh, she would watch, we would watch in the afternoon. And I can still remember this day sitting with mom and watching uh, black and white television. And, that's where I became uh, familiar with uh, As the World Turns. <laughs> and the Hughes family, for those of you with any vintage at all, remember Chris and Nancy Hughes and their children and the stories that went on for generations until it went off of the air. There was another program that Mother liked to watch and it was called Queen for a Day. And Queen for a Day was uh, this, uh, this program where uh, uh, Jack Bailey was the host of the show and uh, Mr. Bailey would interview uh, women in a largely female audience and uh, he would interview uh, women uh, uh, and talk with them about their lives and sometimes their lives were, uh, were difficult at best and sometimes there was illness and sometimes there was family issue and sometimes there were monetary issues and he would interview two or three people and uh, uh, at the end of the show or near the end of the show uh, by audience applause and the loudness of the applause, they would choose one of those ladies that he had interviewed and she would become queen for a day. And what that meant was, uh, they, had the, uh, they had the red, uh, I assume it's a red cape, I would only think that it is, uh, because it was black and white on our TV, we don't really know what it was. Uh, they put a crown on her head and roses in her arm and a scepter in her hand and provided her with gifts. And anyone that he interviewed, uh, received a gift. So nobody left the show without some type of gift, but the Queen for a Day really received uh, uh, something that was both meaningful to the story that she told and meaningful uh, um, um, beyond that, more than that. So as uh, I received a text uh, Friday night um, from uh, Jeannie uh, indicating that David was unwell, and then when Pastor called me yesterday afternoon, about mid-afternoon, to say he continued to be unwell and needed just to be still today, and would I do this today, would I preach today, would I speak today, uh, that's what came into my head, not the queen for a day, but as much as you've got minister for a day. <laughs> my <Mind> it. <laughs> 
I don't expect a red robe, although that would be fine. A crown is not really necessary. Some type of adoration would be fine. But it, uh, we laugh, and it was kind of tongue-in-cheek, but immediately from the text on Friday evening until the call yesterday afternoon, there was a scripture text that popped into my head, just, just came. And it's a text that we'll review today in 1 Peter chapter 3. So God's word is in the pew in front of you. We'll have it on screen, but for those of you in the back of the auditorium, you may not be able to see the screen. God's word is in the pew in front of you. First uh, Peter is uh, one of the latter books in the New Testament, so if you're not familiar with the Bible, it'll go near the end and come back just a skosh. Uh, also, uh, we'll be looking at John chapter 17. So for those of you with a copy of God's Word, if you put your hand in both of those places, that's where we'll be today. Because while I thought minister for the day, what that might mean for me, it really has implications for each of us as well. And so we'll cover that. We'll talk today about the implications of being a minister, you and I being ministers. We'll talk about the confidence that we can have in our ministry, ministering to others, and where that confidence comes from. And we'll look at God's Word today in light of who you are and who I am in Christ. But before we do that, uh, we'll pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the time that we have in your word today. We, uh, we come before you, and we, uh, we are humbled at uh, the richness of your word. And so, Father, um, help us to understand it first. Uh, through the guidance and presence of the Holy Spirit, uh, please, God, help us to understand the words that we read and how they apply to our daily lives. They're not just written a long time ago. They have relevance today. So that's my prayer, Father, is that when people walk out of your house today, they'll be better prepared for their Monday because they understand with some clarity your word and your provision for us. So, Father, thank you. And we give this time to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. So if I'm going to be the minister of the day, I thought, well, I needed to look and see what a minister is and what a minister is not. And if you go to the dictionary, uh, online or hard copy, you'll understand that the word minister has got a noun definition, that means a person, place, or thing, and it has a verb of definition, which means action, and it has certain synonyms. And when we think of minister, we think of pastor. We think of David Shivers in the case of this church. We think of Bill Hall. We think of uh, those who minister to us are deacons. We think of a person. But part of the noun definition of the word minister is this one. A person serving an agent or another by carrying out a specified, uh, spec specified orders or functions. And for each of us, that's you and me. We're serving at the good pleasure of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so as we think about the concept of minister in the place today, and minister for a day, and minister for an eternity, we first think about the work that we do for Jesus. But then there's a verb uh, approach to this, and it's to attend to the wants and needs of others. And that's where we get the concept of we are ministering to others. And in this church, for those of you who aren't familiar, we minister to others in several ways. One, we do meals at the last Sunday of every month, meals for our community. 
We minister on Wednesday nights. That's called uh, Bible study and prayer time. We minister on Sunday morning. That's called Sunday school or Bible study. There are ministry aspects where we attend to the needs of one another. And there are synonyms that apply as well, where we attend, where we take care of, where we share. In other words, where we lighten the load of someone else related to being ministers. So while I took personally the call yesterday and the text Friday night, the reality is that it applies to each of us who name the name of Christ in this place. We are each ministers. And then it got me to thinking about this text, this uh, place, uh, uh, this, this word that God provided to me on Friday evening. And it comes from 1 Peter, really 1 Peter chapter 3. And you'll understand that Peter is the apostle that was with Christ. Peter is the one that wrote three small letters, letters to people who had been dispersed. Dispersed first at the stoning of Stephen, dispersed again after Pentecost, and dispersed by persecution. Peter is writing this letter, this first letter, to people who had been dispersed all over Asia Minor, what we know today as Turkey. And in this letter, Peter is writing and helping people understand what it means to be a Christ follower, and what it looks like to be a Christ follower. Because in that day, and in this day, Christ follower, depending on the doors of the building that you walk in on a Sunday or a Saturday or another day of week, the variation of what that means is as abundant today as it was then. And Peter, in this first letter, is helping people understand what it means to be a Christ follower and what it looks like. So if you look at chapter 3 in God's Word, if you see the beginning of chapter 3, he's talking about relationships. He's talking about what it means to relate to one another. And he's using the context of marriage and husband and wife. He is that granular about Christ follower. Why? Because people had been dispersed and there were competing conversations and competing methodologies and competing theologies, competing for the headspace of those who called themselves believers in Christ. And combined with some level of persecution, there were questions. And Peter is trying to answer the question. So the first part of chapter 3, he's talking about relationships. But then he comes to verse 8. Um, and, and, and verse 8 of chapter 3. Uh, finally, all of you. And so Peter's letter is to Christ followers. So if you name the name of Christ today, Peter wrote the letter, yes, to people in that day living in Asia Minor. But he wrote it just as easily to Sandy Springs, to you and to me and the people who are sitting in this place today. So if you're reading God's word today, if you're looking at this text and he says, Finally, all of you, he's talking to us. Now, he's doing it individually. He's asking, and if you read the first Peter, he's talking about individual practice and individual behavior. But then he comes to a corporate reality and says, Finally, all of you, all of us, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate, and be humble. Again, he's giving us the qualities and characteristics of what it means to be a Christ follower so that there's no misunderstanding about what this looks like. And he's now speaking to the corporate body. And in verse 9, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called. 
uh, to, that you inherited a blessing. So instead of doing what the world might do, and once insulted for your faith, or once insulted for your behavior, insult back. No, don't do that. Repay it with blessing. Repay it with kindness. After that verse, he quotes the Psalms where he talks about God's eye being on us as believers and being on his people. And, and, and God, is, God is understanding, God is seeing what is occurring, whether good or whether not, whether insulted or whether we're not. God is watching that. And then we pick up in verse 13, part B, where it says, who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? Who will harm you if you're eager to do good? And I, and I thought, well, what does that mean in our culture today? And I, I thought about my traveling. I, many of you, uh, some of you may know that I uh, live here in Cumming and I work in Canada. It requires a bit of a commute. Uh, my commute um, it happens to be a jet. Your commute might be an automobile, a motorcycle, or some old walking. You have a different means. Mine happens to be a jet. It usually occurs on, on Sunday or Monday. Tomorrow I commute to Canada. And you'll understand for any of you who've flown that sometimes uh, we run into people at the agent at the ticket counter who were sometimes less than gracious. They might have had a bad day depending on the airline. They might have been mistreated with customers like you and like me. And we walk into an agent and we have the opportunity to either respond to him or her in kind or we have an opportunity to respond to them with blessing. And I have to tell you, I've been traveling now with this particular firm for 12 years and before that with another firm. And I've got to tell you, I've never, never received an insult back for kindness. And I'm always looking at how practical we can make the Word of God. So what the God's Word is saying to us today is, you know, if you are eager to do good, if you're eager to offer blessing, very seldom is somebody going to push back, oh, I know it happens. I know we can be as kind as we want to be, and some people are still going to be surly to us. I get it. But I have to tell you, in all these years of travel, when I walked up on an agent who was not having a good day and was very clear they were going to make my day uncomfortable, I didn't allow it. I returned that with kindness. And you know, uh, uh, most of the time, the shell broke. The point of God's Word is, what is the application for us today? And He's helping us, Peter is helping us understand that Rather than do what the world does, let's set a different paradigm. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. One translation says, do not fear the things that they fear. And that they are the people who don't follow Christ. They're, that's the world. And he goes on to say, and this is a quote from Isaiah, and do not be frightened. He's assuring us that if we choose Christ-centered behaviors, our walk, our walk is going to be different and noticeable. But here's the challenge, and here's the verse. But in your hearts, reserve, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. And he closes this particular portion of text and he talks about uh, um, uh, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against you and your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. But obviously the verse that God gave me has to do with being prepared because when you receive a text and you receive a call and you're expected to do something that you weren't really planning to do, you have to be prepared. That's when you receive the call. 
and something has occurred in the life, your life, or the life of a loved one, and that you didn't expect, and you have to be prepared. When you know somebody's going through an issue, a struggle, a problem in life, and you're pulled alongside of them, you have to be prepared. And what God's Word is encouraging us today is we have the opportunity to be prepared because we are ministers. The definition of ministry is an emissary, somebody who's carrying out the word and message of another. And that applies to you and to me if we believe in Christ. And so the key concepts here are the word always. I don't know about you, but, um, but, but, but always is pretty daunting. Always. Always. Not when we feel like it. Not when it's convenient. Not when we're comfortable. Not when we're with people that we know and love. But the concept is always be prepared. And the concept is even more specific. And, and so the reality of God's word uh, is that the, the concept is we're to give account or we're to be prepared to express the reason for the hope that we have. So rather than continue what I could do, we'll do something a bit different. What is the reason? What is the reason for the hope that you have? I'm getting feedback, and I guess it's me standing down here as opposed to being up there. But if you could figure that out, thank you so much. What is the reason for the hope that you have? Salvation. Salvation. What is the reason, the underlying reason for the hope? Salvation may be the hope. What is the reason? The underlying reason for your hope. Truth in God. Truth in God. Okay. Plan. I'm sorry. The need to be forgiven. Okay. Grace. I'm sorry. Love. I think that's it. All the answers are fine. But I think it's. The reason is God's unconditional love. He loved us first. When we were not lovely, He chose to love us. And so the reason for our hope, I think, is the love of God. But what is the hope? So the love of God came first, then what is our hope? And you said it. Eternal life. Eternal life? Our hope is the love of God. Love of God? Salvation. I think it's salvation. I think it's the forgiveness of sin. I think that God loved us when we're unlovely. And what made us unlovely to a holy God is the fact that we're sinners. And so the hope itself is His forgiveness. We're blood-bought. Jesus shed blood for you and for me for the remission of our sin. Think about the Lord's table and the words and phrases we use when we convene the Lord's table. Communion. He shed blood for us for the remission of sin. Uh, but then there's you. And, and, and the you, being prepared, always prepared, is about you. There's nothing here that says you've got to quote theology. There's nothing here that said you had to go to seminary. Those are fine things, but there's nothing here that says that. There's nothing here that you have to talk about the denomination of Southern Baptists. You just have to talk about you. And what that generally means is there, for those of us who choose to follow Christ, there's a date, a date certain. 
a time, a place, a location when we came to know Jesus, when we made a conscious decision for Christ. And I'm going to ask you in a few minutes to make note of that. Uh, but then there's, uh, finally, there's what we have. And you said it too. We have eternal life. So the reason is the unconditional love of God. I think the hope is the forgiveness of sin. Through a conscious, willful decision that you and I make to accept Christ as Lord and Savior. Savior, then Lord. And I think what we have then is eternal life. And not eternal life only in heaven. I think that's the, that's the misperception when we talk about our faith and when we're always to be prepared. We're to talk about what we believe and the hope that we have. Well, the hope is now. If we're waiting on the day of passing to enjoy heaven and not living eternal life now, then something's upside down with the concept that God has provided through His Son, Jesus. So as I get a text and I get a call and you get a text and you get a call as ministers, the opportunity for us is let's be conscious of the reason and always be prepared to talk about the reason the love of God and the hope, the forgiveness of sin, the decision we made and what we have is eternal life in Christ. The reality is that none of that is easy for you and for me. Our lives are difficult and the people that we work with are sometimes um, sometimes uh, people around us are willing recipients of what we have, even when they ask, and sometimes they're not. And sometimes this is easy to talk about ourselves, and sometimes it's not. And by the way, you're not all called to do this, and I'm not called to do what it is you do on a daily basis. We all each have our calling, and, 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 the, and the point of this is that God wants us to be prepared to talk about ourselves and our relationship with Him. But how do we do that when there are competing priorities? How do we do that when that's very uncomfortable for us? Well, the second text I go to is John 17. And for any of us who grew up in the church, or any of us who know God's word at all, in the least little bit, we understand that this is, this is the high priestly prayer of Jesus. And the wonderful thing about our church right now is that for those of you who don't know, and may not attend, and may not attend uh, Sunday school uh, in the mornings, uh, uh, is that we're all in the same study. We're all in the book of Hebrews. From the smallest children uh, to the oldest adult, we're all in the book of Hebrews. As a church, we're learning about the supremacy of Christ simultaneously. We're learning about the sufficiency of Christ simultaneously. That, that we can talk about angels, but they, they default to Christ. We can talk about Abraham, but he defers to Christ. We can talk about uh, uh, priests and kingdoms, and all of that follows Jesus. So why wouldn't we look to Jesus himself when we think about what he's asked us to do, what Paul is recommending that we be prepared? And so I look at John 17, and this is Jesus' prayer. And it's called the High Priestly Prayer. And in uh, the book of Hebrews, we're studying what a high priest is. And we understand what Jesus is in terms of his priestly role, seated with the Father, interceding and intervening for us. And he chose to begin that work while still here. And he's praying for us. He prays for his disciples. The first part of this chapter, he's praying for the disciples. He's praying for those closest to him. Because he's about to leave them. 
And, and things are about to happen that they don't yet understand. And, and even when they happen, even when his crucifixion happened and he, and, and he rose from the dead, even then they still didn't understand. They still couldn't connect all the dots. So Jesus goes before the Father for those that were closest to him and he begins to pray. And he extends that prayer to you and to me. And he says, my prayer is not for them alone. That's the disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one, Father. Just like Peter said to us, all of us be one. Jesus is praying that we be unified. Jesus is praying that we all be one, centered in him. Just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So our unity, our alignment, our togetherness, our ministry in the body and out of the body is to show the world that God sent Jesus. It's not about our comfort. It's about what God did in sending his son. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. Uh, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to the complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me, and you love them, even as you have loved me. So it seems to me that in my walk, and perhaps in your walk, the difficulty in being prepared to give a word of reason the difficulty of being prepared to talk about hope, to talk about yourself and what you have in Christ, that's hard to do sometimes. But we have a high priest, our elder brother, who began praying for us long ago and continues to intercede for us today, and that should be the source of our strength, to be able to be prepared and to give witness and to give testimony. So the reality of God's word from chapter 17 of John is that we're not alone. We have the Holy Spirit. Uh, Jesus prays for us. We are in the Father. Did you notice the phrasing? We are in the Father. We are held in the Father as Jesus is in the Father. But we must be prepared. Because at the end of the day, this is about you. And it's about me. It is about our personal preparation always to be ready and prepared to give a word. And Colossians sums it up really nicely. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The impediment to our hope is first of all whether you and I have accepted Christ as Savior. That's our personal impediment to hope. But we're also an impediment to others if we're not prepared and willing to share our reason, our hope, our decision, and what we have in Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The hope of glory for that loved one who doesn't know Jesus. The hope of glory for that person, that coworker who has cancer. The hope of glory for that loved one who has struggled in their faith walk. Christ in you and in me is more than just our personal faith. It's either the door opener for someone else 
or the door closer because we weren't prepared and we didn't share. So when I get a text and you get a text or I get a call and you get a call, are we prepared? Not to be theologians, not to spout piety and that's not what this is. Are you and I prepared to express the reason for our faith? The hope of that faith? The decision that you made on that faith? And what you have today and forevermore as a result of that faith?